And just to recap what we've done so far, we have given you a complete, a balanced diet. <laughs> a balanced diet of how to give you some basic foundation principles that you need to be able to be a successful uh, Christian. How many people will agree with me that you need power to be a Christian? You need power to stay as a Christian. Amen. And we started uh, over nine weeks ago looking at the issue of our salvation. We revisited and we examined from the beginning what was the original plan and intent of God for man. We were able to see how God created man to be the crown of his creation. God created the heavens and the earth, and God created all things. And God made man to have dominion over the earth, to take charge of the estate that God has on earth. And we're able to see how man treated, treated his position to the devil by obeying the devil instead of obeying God. And man lost out from the dominion level that God gave man and man became subservient to the devil, and man lost the nature of God and inherited the nature of sin. And we were told in that class that man was on his way to hell. And God sent his son in the, in the form of man, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, to come rescue man. And that's the reason why we are saved. And we say that the salvation that Jesus wrought for us on the cross of Calvary is available to everyone that believes. Amen. And we ended that class by telling you that salvation is a complete package. The same salvation that will get you to heaven is the same salvation that will bring healing to you when you are sick. It's the same salvation that will give you divine health so that you will not even be sick at all. It's the same salvation that will bring you divine provision, divine protection. Everything you need is in the salvation. And we found that people find it easier to believe that God will take them to heaven when they die than to believe God for provision. <laughs> people believe easily that they will go to heaven when they die than to believe God that God will intervene in the situation they have in their lives. Which one is more difficult, getting to heaven or getting your needs met? I tell you getting to heaven is more difficult. But we find it easier to believe that God will take us to heaven if we die than believing in for our provision. Amen. Salvation is a complete package. The same salvation that dealt with your sins brought provision, brought healing, brought deliverance in the name of Jesus. In the second class, it is in one or two. Please, I will... Can you move closer to the front, please? Thank you. In ATC 102, we examine the issue of the new birth. What does it mean to be born again? And we're able to show us in that class that being born again, not to be born again, was brought about by a supernatural act of God. And God was able to transform a sinner to become a saint. How many people have known some bad sinners before? You know, there are good sinners and there are bad sinners. A good sinner is somebody who is like a moralist. And they do everything morally good. Amen? They are good sinners, but there are some bad sinners. Amen. How many people have seen some bad sinners who became Christians and you couldn't believe it? That is the same person. Amen. That is something supernatural. It does not come by the ability of man. How many people remember your many New Year resolutions before you were saved? Say, from the 1st of January, I will stop doing this. And by the 5th of January, you are doing worse. <laughs> Amen. 
It takes the supernatural ability of God to turn a sinner to become a saint. And that's what we call being born again. Amen. And we're able to see that you were born again by two agents. You were given birth to, your salvation was given birth to by the person of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. It took a combination of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit recreating your human spirit that died in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned against God. And we're able to end that class by telling you that you are now a new species of being that never existed before. You never had a past. You only have a present and a glorious future. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away and all things are become new. As far as heaven is concerned, as far as God is concerned, that you never had a past. You started living the day you gave your life to Jesus. And you only have a bright future in God. Will you say amen to that? Hallelujah. And we're able to tell, show us that day that you have a new identity. If you don't walk in the consciousness of your new identity in Christ, the devil will rob you of your salvation. He will rob you of the things that God has made available to you. We're able to show you in that class that before you were saved, before you became a Christian, you were a sick person looking for healing. But now that you are saved, you are the healed of the Lord and the devil wants to steal your health. You see, it's a different platform. You're on a new platform as a believer. Before you got saved, you are the poor, looking for how to get some wealth. Amen. But now as a Christian, you are wealthy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the devil is trying to steal your wealth. Can you see a paradigm shift? Amen. Before you be begging, Lord, please heal me. Lord, please heal me. God, heal me. But now that you are saved, you don't pray that kind of prayer. You speak to your body to respond. Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, he bore all our sicknesses and our diseases. And by his stripes, we have been healed. So you look at your body, you say, headache, I command you in the name of Jesus to cease. And it will respond to you. Because headache has intelligence. It, it, it responds to the word of God. The Bible says that when Jesus was passing through the house of Peter, one of his disciples, that Peter's mother-in-law, was sick with the fever. And the Bible says that Jesus went there and rebuked the fever. And the fever left her immediately. Amen. I tell you, fever has intelligence. When you tell it to go, it will go. When you tell sickness and disease to go in the name of Jesus, they should go. Now that you are a Christian, you don't beg the situation. You speak on the authority that you have been given. The Bible says that we are now seated on the, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Far above principalities, power, might, and dominion. Amen. Now you have dominion. Now you speak to things and they respond to you. Why? Because God has given you dominion in the, name, in, 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 in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? You are a new creation. You never existed before. You have a new identity in Christ. Don't allow the devil to rob you of what God as made available to you. And one thing you should also not, never do is this. Don't beg God for what he has already given you. Can you imagine if you buy something for your kid? You say, this is your Christmas gift. And your kid comes to you again to be begging you to give him that gift. I bought it for you. Why are you begging me for it? It's yours. Pick it up. Take it. That's how many of us do, do to God. We are asking God, please heal me. He's looking at you. I already healed you 2,000 years ago. Why don't you just receive your healing and walk in it? 
Amen. You're begging God, please give me some money. I need to pay my bills. Say, so what's wrong with you? I already provided for you. Because the Bible says that all your needs will be met according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. And in ATC 103, we looked at our mission and our driving force. We said that we're a church on the mission. You were not saved just for the sake of getting saved. God saved you for a purpose. God saved you because he has a mission for you. And we were able to show us that for you to carry out the mission, we need a, we need a power base to back us up. Amen. And we said that our power, we're empowered by the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Ghost. We can see in the life of Jesus. Jesus never started his earthly ministry until the Holy Ghost came upon him. Amen. And we said that even when Jesus was leaving, he told his disciples, he said, Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Amen. Because you cannot do any ministry. You cannot do anything apart from the power of the Holy Ghost. If you want to live a powered life, you need to depend on the Holy Ghost. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Holy Ghost needs to come upon you. His person, his power, and his presence in your life will make all the difference. Hallelujah. If not, everything we are teaching outside of the Holy Ghost is knowledge. Have you met many people? If you want to preach to them, before you say what, they will, they will, they will finish the quotation for you. But if you look at their life, it does not reflect the words they know. Amen. But they know the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. But it's not making any difference in their life. Why? Because they lack the power. Amen. This word is not just knowledge. It has the power to transform your life. Hallelujah. And we're able to show the fivefold purposes of the church. Fellowship, evangelism, discipleship, missions, and stewardship. Amen. And we encourage people to participate in this mission. And we also ended that class by introducing us to Praise Chapel Christian Fellowship. We said that we are a family of fellowship worldwide. We have over 2,000 uh, fellowships spread all over the world. Uh, we gave us a brief history of Praise Chapel. How it started in 1976 through Pastors Mike Neville, now late, and uh, his wife Donna Neville. Amen. And now God used them. And today we have over 2,000 churches. In ATC 104, we spoke about our structure and our strategy. Now that you've known our mission, now that you know that we need to be empowered for our mission by the Holy Ghost, now what is the structure we've put in place? And what are the strategies we're going to use? And in that class, we're privileged to have our pastors, Pastors Kelly and Nesta, and they came and they shared with us how Praise Chapel Christian Fellowship started in, here in Kansas City. And what are the structure we have in place? What are the ministries we have in place? Amen. And we encourage you at the end of that class that you should join the ministry. And that's one of the reasons why we are going through this class. Amen. This series of classes. We want you to join a ministry and participate in the mission and the assignment that God has given us in this house. Amen. And we know that you will be blessed. Hallelujah. In ATC 105, we spoke about a very important subject. Faith and prayer. Where I started out by saying that what is faith? Bible theologians and many scholars have, they have expounded on the word faith. But we introduced to us a very simple definition of faith by one man of God. He said faith is taking the word of God seriously. Summary of it. Take the word of God seriously. If God says, I will heal you, take him seriously and you'll be healed. 
If God says, I will prosper you, take the word of God seriously and you'll be prospered. If God says, I will make you to succeed, take the word of God seriously and you will succeed. That is faith. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The Bible says it is impossible to please God without faith. And we're able to show us in that class that every attack of a devil on, on your life he has one goal in mind. Do you remember? He has only one goal in mind. Maybe he may steal your money, he may steal your health, he may steal your job. Don't be deceived. He's not after your money or your health. Satan is after one thing in your life, and that is your faith. Because the Bible says that this is what overcomes the world, our faith. Amen. Because the Bible says it is impossible to please God without faith. Are you flowing with me tonight? If you don't have faith, you can't please God. And if you can't please God, then the devil had you where he wanted you. Remember, when Jesus spoke to Peter, he said, Peter, Peter, the devil has asked to sift you. But Jesus said, but I've prayed for you. What prayer did he pray for him? He said, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. If your faith refuses to fail, the devil cannot keep you down. Amen. And that's the reason why it was the same thing that Jesus did that Peter did. Both of them denied Jesus. Amen. But because Jesus had prayed for Peter that his faith will not fail, Peter came back. But Jesus committed, uh, Judas committed suicide. Amen. So your faith is very important. And faith, simply put, is take the word of God seriously. And we ended that class by looking at prayer. We said that prayer is a two-way privileged communication between God and man. Amen. You speak to God. You, you seek the heart of God in prayer. You converse with God in prayer. And when you pray, God speaks back to you. But we learn that many people, we pray to God, but we don't wait on God to receive what God is saying back to us. Amen. When you pray, God wants to talk to you. God wants to give you a response. God wants to assure you that what you have spoken to him in prayer, that he is able to give back to you. Amen. To manifest in your life the response of your prayer. And we learned in that class that also there are different kinds of prayer. Amen. We said that prayer is like a bunch of keys. Amen. If you want to use the key to your car to open your apartment, you may sleep outside because the key to your car will not open your apartment. Does that make sense to you? And we said that there are different kinds of prayer. But because of a lack of knowledge, people do not rightly use prayer the prayer keys and therefore people pray for many years and don't have a response to their prayers why because they don't understand prayers and we're able to tell us the different kinds of prayer and we're able to show us the lord's model of prayer how jesus taught his disciples to pray amen i also want to encourage you guys all the messages are recorded i want to encourage you to buy the cds and listen to them again Amen. Somebody said, for you to get and understand a message fully, you need to listen to it for a minimum of 14 times. 14 times. You need to listen to it 14 times before you can say you understand what they are saying. Amen. Sometimes you will listen to a CD and you say, well, am I in that service where they preach that? Because I didn't hear this. <laughs> because maybe you have been distracted while the word was going on. Amen. In ATC 106, we looked at Using your gift to serve God in the local assembly. We're able to show you in that class that you have a gift. 
you have some skills and you have some talents. And God created you so that you can use your gift, your skills and your talent to serve him in his vineyard. And we told you in that class that the reason why we have ministries in church is because we want to give you an opportunity so that you can manifest and show forth your gifts in God, your skills in God, and your talents. Amen. And we told you that talent is natural. Some skills can be learned, but your spiritual gift became active when you gave your life to Jesus. Amen. You don't need a talent. To do, you don't need to be a, a Christian to operate in the area of your talent. Amen. But you need to be a Christian to operate in the area of spiritual gifts. Amen. Talent is the natural equivalent of spiritual gifts. Does that make sense to you? We have some, when you, when you were in school, you, you know there are some teachers. They are naturally born teachers, but they are not saved. And when you come to church, you also see some people who operate in the gift of teaching. When they teach you, you will understand without the shadow of a doubt. Amen. So the teaching in school is a natural equivalent of the spiritual gift of teaching. Does that make sense to you? And uh, we want you to discover your gifts in God, your talents and your skills, and use it to serve God. Because that's the reason why you were born. And we know that you have a destiny in God. And we encourage you to discover your gift by participating in ministry. That is an avenue where you can discover what God has inside of you. And in ATC 107, we looked at the subject of eternity, eternal life, death, life, and judgment. And we're able to show us in that class that God created you with a purpose in mind. God created you in heaven, but he gave you an assignment on earth. And through the process of birth, you came to this earth. And God has given you a time interval with, within which he expects you to accomplish the assignment that he has for you. And when your time is up, you'll be transported back to the realm of eternity through the process of death to give account of what you did on earth. And we're able to show us in that class that there are two kinds of judgment. There is what we call the great white throne judgment, that everyone born of a woman will stand before the holy God and will be judged. And we know the judgment that is coming at the white throne judgment. It, the, the judgment is very clear. If your name is found in the Lamb's book of life, you will go into heaven and be with God forever. And if your name is not there, you will be sent to hell. Amen. And we say that for you to be, to be in heaven with God, then you need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ before you die. When somebody dies without Jesus Christ, they go to hell. There's no two ways about it. Amen. And the second judgment is called the believer's judgment. The Bible says that we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And what is that judgment about? You're going to be judged based on the assignment that God gave you. God will say, I gave you assignment. Maybe God said, God is saying, I created you to be an evangelist. And as evangelists, I've given you the anointing, the grace, the talent, the skills to be able to win 100,000 believers in your ministry. And if in the course of your life, you won only 10,000, you'll be judged based on 10 over 100,000. That is 10%. And you will have the reward of 10%. Because Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to the works that they've done. Amen. I tell you, the judgment seat of Christ is a scary place. Even the white throne judgment is a scary place. Amen. Whereby some people, they would say, well, I want millions of people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus would say, well, I tried, I trusted your work 
in the fire and it burns. Maybe because your motivation for doing what you're doing is wrong. Amen. And that would be a big loss. That's the reason why Paul was saying in the book of 1, Peter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says that every man's work will be tested with fire. And if your work, if you suffer loss, your work will burn. Amen. But you will be like one escaping through the fire. That means you are in heaven, but you have no rewards. But you are in heaven. And I told us in that class, I please make heaven. To be in heaven and be the lowest person in heaven is better than being a chief in hell. <laughs> Amen. Be in heaven. Make heaven. Amen. But we are telling you that there is rewards in heaven. And you're going to be judged based on the assignment that God gave you when he created you. The problem with that is many people are dying, even Christians, without even discovering the purpose why God created them. Without even discovering the purpose why God saved them. And we are saying, when you begin to serve God in the local assembly, it's an avenue for you to discover your purpose in God. Now, I have come to agree with many people. They tell me that it seems as if you have the gift of teaching. After many years, I had to agree with them because I used to tell them I don't think so. But now I have to agree with them. Because when I teach, people say they understand. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, good. Now, how did I discover that? I discovered that because in my church back in Nigeria, I was told to join evangelism department. We have a department for evangelism for outreach. And I discovered that whenever I go on outreach, I find it difficult when I find somebody and I said, I bring you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say, well, I'm an I'm unbeliever. I don't know where to start. But when I meet some people and they will say, well, don't bother. I'm a Christian. I don't want you to waste your time. Go look for other people who are not Christians. And I will now hear myself saying, okay, since you are a Christian, before I go, can I just share one or two verses of scripture with you? And I discover that I begin to share some deep things that even I myself don't know they were inside of me. That was how I discovered that I have the gift of teaching. I discover it in outreach. But what if I never joined the outreach team? Though I will have the gift, I will not know that I have it. And if you don't know you have it, you won't learn how to develop it. Does that make sense to you? So many people are not discovering their purposes in God because they are not taking part in the ministry opportunities that have been made available to them. Amen. So that's why we encourage you to join uh, a ministry. And in 108 that we took last week, we spoke about covenant. We said that God is a God of covenant. We, show, we showed us in that class that God will do nothing except by covenant. God is nothing to power show. He's nothing to display of power. God will only manifest his power based on covenant. What is covenant? Covenant is I will do this and I will do it. If God says to you he will do this, you can bet your life on it. He's going to do what he says he will do. Amen. And we showed us the different parts of a covenant. And we showed us that God is a covenant-making God. He's a covenant-keeping God. And he's a covenant-enabling God. God will enable you to keep his covenant. Amen. And I want, us to, I want to strongly encourage you to buy the CD of that class. Amen. Because so many things were said in that class. Even I myself, after that teaching, I was wanting to listen to that message again because something I was encouraged myself in my work with God. Hallelujah. And tonight we're going to round up the series of classes speaking about understanding membership covenants 
and we're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Communion, and we'll round up by talking about water baptism. Now, let's start our class. Can you see that I spent 30 minutes introducing the class? <laughs> Amen. I was wrapping up what we did in eight weeks in 30 minutes. Amen. So if you have not gone through the classes and you want to have a full gist, we are starting the class over again next Monday. Just come and we start it all over again. Amen. Hallelujah. You are welcome. Even if you are from other churches, you can come and be blessed. Amen. So we have four objectives that must be accomplished at the end of this class today. One, you should be able to understand God's pattern and divine order of accomplishing his assignment here on earth. Two, you should be able to understand the terms of Praise Chapel Christian Fellowship Kansas City Membership Covenant. Three, you should be able to understand the significance of the Holy Communion. And lastly, you should be able to appreciate the significance of water baptism by immersion. Amen. So understanding the membership covenant of this church. We told you last week that covenant is something that you've entered into when you gave your life to Jesus. But many people are not conscious of it. And the purpose of this class is, is not to make you to enter a new covenant, but rather to make you aware of the covenant you entered into. What do I mean by that? When you came to the altar, when you gave your life to Jesus, you made a covenant with Jesus. What was the covenant? He said, Jesus, I give you all my sins and every dirty thing I've ever done in my life. And Jesus said, and, I, and you said, I give you my life on top of that. And Jesus said, okay, for giving me your life and your sins, I will take your sins, wash them away. I will take you to heaven when you die. That's a covenant. Amen. Let me ask you this question. How will you feel if you die and you discover that Jesus does not take you to heaven despite the fact that you met all the, all the requirements to go to heaven and you decide, well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to keep my word. How will you feel? <laughs> I don't, it's not unthinkable. Don't even think about it. <laughs> Amen. So how are you sure that if you die that Jesus will take you to heaven? Covenant covenant. If he says he will do it, the rest are sure they will do it. Let me ask you this question. What of if God did not raise Jesus from the dead? You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, they made an arrangement. God the Son, you go into, into the earth as human being, you will die on the cross, and after the third day, we will raise you up. And God the Son agreed. What makes Jesus to believe that God will raise him up? Covenant. What if after Jesus died and God decided, I'm not going to raise you up? Then Jesus will be in hell forever. Think about it. That's a food for thought. <laughs> Amen. So, you're already in the covenant when you gave your life to Jesus. So, we just wanted you to be conscious of that covenant so that you can take the most advantage of it and also to avoid the consequences of breaking covenants because when you break covenants there are consequences and many people they have a lot of things going wrong in their lives and they don't know that it's because they are breaking covenants and a simple way to, uh, to explain that is this when God called Abraham God said to Abraham he said either blesses you I will bless and either curses you I will curse 
And the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have inherited the covenant promises of Abraham. That means as a Christian, God is saying to you, he that blesses you, I will bless. And he that curses you, I will curse. Is that okay? Now, very simple. If another Christian should curse you, what will happen to that Christian? God will curse him. And if another Christian should bless you, what will happen to that Christian? God will bless him. Does that make sense to you? So many people, they are backbiting, they are saying some things that are not correct about their Christian brothers and sisters. And so many things are going wrong in their life and they cannot even relate what is, what is going terribly wrong in their life to what they are doing against their brothers and sisters in Christ. Does that make sense to you? So by taking you this series of classes, we're telling you these are the covenant that you entered into when you gave your life to Jesus. And it is better for you to understand the benefits. And it's also good for you to know that when you contravene those covenants, there are consequences that come over your life. Does that make sense to you? So, understanding the priest chapel membership covenant. Now, let's look at God's pattern of getting things done on earth. This is what God does. If God wants a particular assignment to be done on earth, what does he do? God seeks the surface of the earth and he looks for a man that is going to give the responsibility of carrying out that assignment. So God will build. The Bible says that the height of the Lord runs to and for the earth. Looking for him whose heart is perfect with him. Amen. So when God finds a perfect man for that assignment, what will he do? God will call that man. God will introduce himself to that man by saving him, by showing himself to him. And God will begin to put in his heart, I want to do this. And that's when somebody says, I received a vision. I caught a vision. Amen. That man will receive a vision. What's the vision? Maybe you receive a vision, I want to be an evangelist or I want to be a pastor. That is God nudging your heart because he has an assignment for you. He has a specific assignment for you. So when God locates the man that he wants to use to spearhead an assignment, then God will begin to equip him. God begins to give him some graces. God begins to anoint him. God brings him under spiritual leadership who will disciple him so that the potentials in him can be developed so that he can be released to the fullness of his purposes in God. And thereafter, God will give that man a fire in his heart, which we call vision. When you look at the back of our church, Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Amen. When you don't have a vision for your life, that part of your life will perish. If you don't have a vision for your marriage, it will perish. If you don't have a vision for your finances, it will perish. If you don't have a vision for your children, they will go astray. Amen. The Bible says in another translation, it says, where there is no revelation of redemptive purpose, the people cast off restraints. Amen. If you don't have any goal in mind, you won't achieve anything. But when you set a goal in mind, the possibility that you're going to achieve that goal is higher than when you never set a goal. Does that make sense to you? So God looks for a man. God grace him. God equips him. God anoints him. Thereafter, God will give him the blueprint or the vision for the assignment. Amen. And after that, if that man agrees to go do that assignment, God will cut a covenant with him. What is a covenant? Covenant of divine participation. Covenant of divine backup. Covenant of divine provision. 
Amen. And when that man cuts a covenant with God, God will not send him, will not send him on that assignment. And after that man responds to God and he starts the assignment, there are God will therefore, based on that man receiving his call and responding to it, God will therefore also begin to call some other people from all over, from the north, west, and east to come and participate with that man in that God-given assignment. Let me tell you this. If there's any assignment from God that somebody is telling you, I have an assignment for God, from God, and that man can do it alone. Believe you me, that assignment is not from God. God will never give you an assignment that you alone can do. It will take a company of people. It will take a group of people coming together. Yes, it, will, it may be one man that will receive the vision. Yes, it may be one man that will be given the blueprint. But it will take a company of people. It will take a group of people to accomplish that assignment. So when that man receives the calling and that man responds to the calling and that man goes into covenant with God, then God will begin to supernaturally draw people towards the vision. Does that make sense to you? I tell you, I don't know how you, are, you came to this church, but you were supernaturally drawn by God. God is drawing you to come and participate in this assignment. Amen. And when you respond to that call, to participate in the assignment that you are being drawn onto. Then, remember I said that before God sends a man on the assignment, God cuts a covenant with the man. Covenant of divine support, divine provision, divine involvement. Whatever covenant that man has with God for that assignment, when you join that assignment or you, when you join that church, the covenant upon that church, you enter into it. Let me give you a very good example. I come from a part of Nigeria where it is 95% Muslims, Islam, and 5% Christian. And when we talk about this kind of Islam, it's not the passive type. It's a type of Islam that are radical, that they believe that when they kill a Christian, that they are doing God's favor. It's a place whereby you don't do outreach in the wrong part of town. There are some people, if you give them tract, they will respond to you by stabbing you with a knife because they carry knives all over the place. They call us, they call us Christians. They call us infidels. <laughs> and they believe that when they kill us, they do God's favor. When God called my pastor to go into that city because we are not originally from that city, God gave him, a, made a covenant with him, and God said, none of your people will be killed by Islamic extremists. Every now and then in that city in Nigeria, there is what we call religious riots. Every Friday is a potential day when Muslims will go out to kill Christians. Every Friday they have their congregational prayer. And from their mosque and their, from, from their prayer, they can decide to go on rampage and they begin to attack Christians. But God made a covenant with my pastor that if you go into that city that I'm sending you, no evil shall befall you, and none of the people I will give you will be involved. Now there are several riots that have taken place in that city, and there are many Christians, many good Christians, many spirit-filled Christians, many tongue-talking Christians that have been killed in the riots. But to date, I can tell you with confidence that not a single member of our church in Nigeria has ever been killed in a riot. 
In fact, the very last one that happened, I had a testimony. One of our associate pastors was arrested by this Muslim extremist and they were going to kill him. And they have actually laid him on the ground and they brought out a knife to slash his throat. Then the military guys came and they shot all of them dead. God says in the book of Isaiah, he said, I will give people for your life and I will give men in place of you. Instead of you dying, God will not mind for an unbeliever to die in your place. That is how serious God is with his children. Does that make sense to you? Why? Because when that man joined our church, he entered into the covenant that God cut with my pastor before he came. Does that make sense to you? So God, in the same way, God found his servant, Pastor Kelly and Pastor Esther, and he sent them to Kansas City on an assignment over 13, about 13, 13 years ago. In 1993, September 11, they got to Kansas City to come and establish a church because God has a people in this city that you want to get saved. There are so many people in this city that other churches do, do not want. There are other people on the street that they not, the average church will not reach out to. And God has given them a vision to go into the byways and the highways and compel people who are going to hell to come into the kingdom. And that's the reason why we go onto the streets, every nooks and corners of Kansas City, and we'll be begin to win souls we begin to outreach people we don't care what your background is we don't care whether you are messed up in drugs and alcohol we don't care whether you are homosexual we don't care just come to the kingdom because we know that you'll be transformed by the redeeming grace of the lord jesus christ that's the assignment we are from god and when they were coming to the city god cut a covenant with them that whatsoever you touch shall prosper. Whatsoever you lay your hands upon to do shall prosper. Yes, all those covenant promises are already in the scriptures. But how many people know that we are not enjoying the fullness of all the precious promises in scriptures? But when God sees a man and God gives him that this particular precious promise in my word, I'm going to make it active in your life. Everybody that comes and joins that assignment, they begin to operate under the same covenant. Does that make sense to you? Let us see some examples in scripture of that divine principle. When you look at the story of Noah, the Bible says that God found Noah in the book of chapter 6 of Genesis. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the sight of God. And God gave him an assignment. God said, I'm going to destroy the world because the world is full of wickedness. And God says, begin to preach righteousness and begin to build a boat. And Noah began to build a boat with his family because it was only his family who decided to support him. Amen. And because of that, it was only his family that was saved. And the same covenant that God cut with Noah became the covenant of God with his children. Amen. Because it was a man that God called. When you look at the story of Abraham as well, it was one man, Abraham, that God called. And God caught a covenant with Abraham. And because of the covenant he had with Abraham, all the children of Abraham became inheritor. They, be, they inherited the covenant promises that God had with Abraham. Does that make sense to you? The same way when you look at the story of Moses. When God called Moses in the burning bush, through the burning bush experience, God cut a covenant with Moses. And therefore, when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, the children of Israel that followed him, they became part of the covenant that God cut with Moses. Amen. The same way, 
when you, you, you can see that pattern in scripture, God chooses a man and God graces him. God gives him anointing. God gives him an, anoint, uh, an assignment. And everybody who supports him, God will support. Whatever blessing comes upon that man will come upon the people that follows him, that followed him. Amen. That's the divine principle. And in the same way, we want to tell you that there is a great grace upon this house. There's a calling, there's an assignment upon this house. And there are also some covenant blessings that God has given us in this house. That God has specifically given to the pastors that he called to lead and to head this work. And we are saying to you that if you believe that God has led you to this church to be a member of this church, you are entering into a blessing. Amen. Jesus said, I call you to enter into the harvest that you have bestowed no labor. He said, others have labored, but you have entered into their labors. What do I mean by that? When you, assuming that your father was a multi-billionaire, and when he died, he wrote in his will that you should be given $400 million out of his estate. What happened? He worked for the money, but you did not. You just entered into it. There are some things in the realm of a spirit that have been labored for before you came that you will just enter into. Let me give you a very good for instance. This church started about 13 years ago in the living room of our pastors. But today we have this wonderful auditorium. And you are just coming in maybe this year, maybe some months ago, maybe some years ago, and you just entered into this church, and you are enjoying the coolness of the air conditioner. You are enjoying everything in this place. Why? Because some people who came to this church before you, they labored to get this building. But you just entered into their labors. The same way, we want you to begin to labor now that you are here, so that the future generation will enter into your own labor. When we build our building on High 757 Street, some people will come and become members only when we get there. But you are the ones that labored to build that building. So what happens to them? They just entered into your labor. So that was what Jesus was saying when he said, I've called you to an harvest, to a harvest that you have not labored for. Others have labored, but you have entered into their labors. Amen. So we are calling you to enter into the labors of the fathers. Amen. They are the fathers and the mothers of this house. They have labored in the realm of the spirit. And they have laid up treasures. The Bible says that good men and women, a good man will leave a good inheritance for his children. Amen. So there is an inheritance we have in this house that you enter into by just being a member. And because of that, we are therefore officially inviting you to enter into a covenant commitment with us. When we say covenant commitment, we say we mean a covenant relationship. Because we explain to you, we are not telling you to enter into a new covenant with us. It is the same covenant you entered into with Jesus Christ when you became a Christian. We just want to bring you to your consciousness. And we want you to commit yourself covenantly to this local church. To the leadership of this church. And we want you to be in covenant relationship with other members of this church. And we have made it explicit for you to understand what we're talking about. What do we mean by be covenantly committed to us? There are some things we have put here that are already in scriptures. If you are a student of the word of God, there are, there are things that you, should be, that you should be doing already. 
But for emphasis, we just highlighted some of them. So we expect you by covenant to have a deep sense of committed, uh, commitment first to God, then to the senior pastors of this house, to the leadership of this house, and then to other members of this house. And we expect you to do four basic things for you to be covenantly related to us. One, we expect you to protect the unity of this church by doing three things. One, we want you to act in love towards other members. Jesus said in the book of John chapter uh, 17, he said, when you love one another, John chapter 16 or 15, when you love one another, then people will see that you are my disciples indeed. So one way to protect the unity of this church is for you to act in love towards other members. We've had situations whereby some other member of church left church. They stopped coming because another member of church offended them. Not the pastor, not the leadership. Amen. So we wanted to act in love towards other members. Two, we wanted to refuse to gossip or slander. Gossip and slander will only have a negative impact on the unity of a group of people. Amen. Because when people gossip about you and people slander you, it, it, it reduces or it affects your, self, your confidence in that group of people. Amen. And when people slander you too bad, you want to stop associating yourself with them. So when you refuse to gossip and slander, even when you are presented with the opportunity to do so, then you are protecting the unity of this church. Also, we want you to follow the leaders. We want you to follow the leaders. When God speaks to his servant, say, go this direction. Don't say, I'm feeling that we should go this direction. That is division. When we say division, means division. That means double vision. The leader is seeing a vision that God is saying we should move in this direction. And maybe you are seeing the your own vision that we should move in this direction, then there is division. Amen. So, you protect the unity of this church by following the leaders. Another thing we wanted to do in your relationship with us is we wanted to share in the responsibility of this local church. How do you do that? By praying for the growth of this church. Remember the pastors, remember other people in your prayers when you pray. Then we also to invite other people who don't have other churches to attend. The vision that we have in this house is not to go to other churches, to pull members out and bring them to our church. No. There are more than enough unbelievers on the street. And that's the people we are called to. If people come from other churches on their own accord, they are welcomed. But our primary target, as we showed us, in, 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 it is in 104 when we look at our structure and our strategy our strategy is, for, is to reach the unreached amen to church the unchurched amen hallelujah we also expect you to warmly welcome those who attend if you remember your first Sunday or your first the first time you came to this church if people were not warm to you it is highly likely that you won't come back to this church but when you were warmly received by other people, not just by the greeters, by the door, but when you came into the auditorium, everybody, everybody was friendly. It is likely that you will come back. Amen. So we want you to warmly welcome those who are visiting. Then we also want you to serve the ministry of this local church by doing the following. 
we want you to discover your gifts and your talents and your skills and use them in this house to serve God. We also want you to allow yourself to be equipped by the pastors and the other leaders so that you can be <clears throat> sharpened and polished for the work of the ministry. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. He says that God, he said Jesus when he ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. The reason why he gave us pastors is that pastors can disciple us and train us. But we are the ones to go and do the work of the ministry. Amen. They are to train us and equip us and we are to go and do the work of the ministry. Do you understand that when you get home, you can read the book of Ephesians chapter 11 to verse 16. It will give you a clear picture of why we have people to equip us. The pastors are the equipers. We are the ones that we do the work of the ministries, of the ministry. Then we also want you to develop a servant heart. Amen. In ATC 106, we're able to show us by that serving God in local assembly with your spiritual gift. Jesus brought another kind of leadership style that was never in existence before he came. The leadership style of this world is that there is a boss and there are subordinates. Amen. But Jesus brought a style of leadership we call servant leadership. Jesus said, if you want to be a leader, you must be the servant of all. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, then you must be the least in, the, in, serving, your, in, in serving the people of the kingdom. Amen. And we expect you to have a servant heart. Don't have a, buzz, a buzzy heart. Don't come and be buzzing people around there, even if you are a leader. We expect you to be a servant leader. Say, I'm here to serve God's purpose in your life. I'm here standing before you tonight. I'm serving you. I'm serving you the word of God with humility of heart. I'm not just coming here to display Bible knowledge. I'm here to serve the purpose of God in your life. So we expect you to serve God, to serve the people of God. Maybe you join, uh, you become an usher. You serve the people with humility of heart. Maybe you become a Sunday school teacher. You serve by, by teaching the kids with humility of heart. Amen. Be a servant. Then lastly, we expect you to support the testimony of our church by doing the following. We want to attend faithfully. We count on your, on your faithful attendance. And we also expect you to live a godly life. Amen. What do we mean by that? We are very particular about that. Do you know why? Because, let me use the normal example I normally use. We have a press chapel sticker that we encourage every member to stick to the to the back side of their car. Now, assuming you have a press chapel sticker and you are cruising at 85 miles an hour on parallel parkway, where you should be cruising at 35 miles an hour. If somebody sees you and they see a press chapel sticker, it is easy for them to conclude that all press chapel people normally go beyond the speed limit. Let's assume you were going at 85 miles an hour. And another press chapel sticker car was going at 75 miles an hour. And that person in one day found three press chapel cars cruising above speed limit. 
that person can easily conclude that Praise Chapel people, they are lawbreakers. So that means you are not supporting our testimony by not living a godly life. Amen. Can you imagine being a prominent member of this church and you are visiting the liquor store? <laughs> Somebody who sees you can, can assume that in Praise Chapel, they visit liquor stores. Because as a member, you are visiting liquor store. So that means you are not supporting the testimony of our church. So we are particular that you live a godly life. You live a holy life. You separate your life unto God. Amen. And be a saint of God. We also expect you to give regularly in tithe and in offering. Amen. The tithe is expected of you. God expects you to give him the tenth of your gross income. Amen. And your offering, which is above your tithe. Amen. We have a building project going on. We want you to commit to that. You show your commitment. Somebody said, it is possible to, for you to give. It is possible for you to give without loving. But it is impossible for you to love without giving. If you love the Lord and you love the people of God in this church, you will give. You will be a part of everything that God is doing in this place. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, if you do all this, the question is, what are your benefits? The benefits that will accrue to you if you are in covenant relationship with, with us in this church is this. Simply put, you will come under an apostolic covering. And the grace of God will come upon your life that will make you to excel in life and ministry. Any kind of excellence that you see being displaced in this church will filter into your home. We filter into your business. We filter into every area of endeavor that you, you, you find yourself doing. Amen. And that's a simple statement, but it is loaded. It is loaded. Hallelujah. So on behalf of the leadership of this church, we want to welcome you to being a member of Praise Chapel Christian Fellowship. Now, if you pray to God and you believe that God has led you to this place to be a member of this church, we're going to have a graduation ceremony for people who have gone through these classes. And in that graduation ceremony, we're going to be giving you a commitment card that you will sign. And what will be on the commitment card will be these four items that are in this outline. That you commit yourself to protect the unity of, the, of this church, you commit yourself to share in the responsibility of this church. You commit yourself to serve in the ministry of this church. And you commit yourself to support the testimony of this church. Now, why do we make you to sign a membership com commitment card? Really? We shouldn't tell you to sign. Because as a Christian, you should be committed. All right? But we discover that when you put your signature and you have something, because we're going to give you a copy to go home with, and probably you can put it on your wall. You can laminate it and put it on your wall. It becomes like a remembrance to you. For instance, everywhere I go, I have this ring on my finger. It reminds me that I'm committed to somebody. Does that make sense to you? So that's the reason why we just sign. 
But there are people who say we don't do it. <laughs> and there are some people who do not sign, but they do it. So it's not really the signing, but what is in your heart. Is that okay? So the sign is just an outward commitment. But really, if you are not committed in your heart, even if you sign it, it won't make any difference. Does that make sense to you? So you must be committed in your heart first. Then follow up by signing the commitment card during the graduation ceremony. So haven't covered about, uh, haven't spoken about the membership covenant. Now let's talk about the Holy Communion. Our main texts are taken from Matthew chapter 26 from verse 26 to 28. The Holy Communion, which is also called the Lord's Supper, and coincidentally, we are also in the season of the Lord's Supper. 2,000 years ago, by Thursday, not for sure, some theologians are telling us it's not correct, but from previous knowledge, <laughs> 2,000 years ago on a Thursday or a Wednesday, Jesus instituted the Holy Communion with his disciples. Come with me to the book of Matthew chapter 26. This was the same night that Jesus was betrayed, that Jesus was arrested on his way to be crucified. This happened to be the day that is the Passover day. If you remember the history of the Passover, the Passover was a feast, a meal, or a sacrifice that God instituted for the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. Just before God brought them out of Egypt, God said he was going to destroy the land of Egypt by destroying their, the firstborn of every man and animal in the land of Egypt. And God says, I'm going to send an angel of destruction to pass through the land of Egypt. But, he said, I want to preserve the people of Israel. And God says, the only way the angel will know who to destroy and who not to destroy is that every family in the land of Israel should kill a lamb. And they should use the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost of their house. And God spoke to them. He said, when the angel of destruction is coming by, when he sees the blood, it will pass over you and will not destroy you. And that was a Passover. So it was the night of the Passover that they were eating the Passover meal that Jesus instituted the Holy Communion. The Holy Communion is a sacred ordinance that Jesus introduced and Jesus asked us to continue it in remembrance of him. Because the Bible says that Jesus himself had become our Passover. Because the Passover lamb that was killed was symbolic of Jesus Christ himself becoming the Passover lamb. Because by the blood of Jesus, evil, destruction, and hell has passed over us. Does that make sense to you? Because of the blood of Jesus, it covers 
your sins. Let me take that back. It did not cover your sin. It removed your sin. Let me give you an analogy here. You know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that it is not possible that the blood of goats and bulls will cleanse men of their sins. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us. It did not cover our sins. It cleansed our sins. Let me give you a very vivid example. In the Hebrew tradition, in the Jewish tradition, in those olden days, a rich man, they don't have banks, but they have rich people. And rich people, you can go to a rich man and take a loan. And when you go to a rich man to take a loan of a certain amount of money, what will happen? That man will have a board in his house. And he will write your name and the amount you borrowed. Right? And usually, what they used to write, you cannot erase it. Flowing with me? Now, anybody that visits that rich man who enters his house will see the list of debtors who are indebted to him. Flowing with me? So we will know that, okay, this man took loan from this man. This person took loan from this person. So what happens when you repay your loan in full? The man will go to his board and he will cross out your name because he cannot erase it. Because they use something that is erasable. Is that okay? That means that 10 years after you pay your debt, when somebody comes to that man's house, they will see your name on the board. Though it has been crossed out that you have paid your debt, but it's still on record that you once were a debtor to this man. Does that make sense to you? That was what the blood of goats and bull were doing our sins. Our sins are like ordinances written against us. We are in debt. Alright? So, when you sacrifice a goat or a bull to God as sin offering, what happens? The blood of the goat or the bull just crosses out, it just covers your sin. But it does not remove the consciousness of sin. You are still conscious that you are a sinner. Does that make sense to you? But when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus is like a rich man that was indebted to. Remember the story of the rich man and the wicked servant, whom this master forgave his debt. What Jesus did with his blood is this. When the blood of Jesus showed up on the scene, it did not just cancel out your name from the blood of offenses. It erased it. So that if anybody comes into that rich man's house, there was no record that you ever were indebted to him. That's the reason why the Bible says that the blood of goats and bulls were not able to erase our sins. But when Jesus came, his blood erased our sin, there was no record. And that's the reason why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. There's no record of all you did before you became a Christian. Amen. All your sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. So Jesus became our Passover. The Bible says after dinner, he took the bread. 
and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, take it. This is my body broken for you. I tell you folks, the body of Jesus was broken so that yours may be put together. Sickness and diseases has no right. Sickness and diseases have no right to disintegrate your body. This cancer has no right to eat up your body. Why? Because the body of Jesus was disintegrated, was broken so that yours may be intact. But if you don't know it, the devil will rob you of your health. He said, this is my body. Take it. And after that, he took the cup and said, take, drink. This is my blood shed for you. And this signifies the new covenant. The new everlasting covenant. He said, this is my blood shed for the remittance of your sins. That means for the cleansing of your sins. For the blotting out of your sins. So Jesus, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah 53, that he pleased God to kill his son so that we can be set free from going to hell. So the Holy Communion, Jesus said, when you do this, do it in remembrance of him. Do it in remembrance of the work he did on the cross of Calvary. I tell you, the, the Holy Communion is a very powerful covenant instrument. It's a very powerful ordinance that when you take the Holy Communion in faith, it can release into your life, into your body, the eternal life of the Lord Jesus Christ that we spoke about about three weeks ago. There was one man of God, he's still alive, Jack Hayford. He said in one of his books or in one of his messages, he said, at the, at the breakfast table every morning, I break bread with my children and grandchildren. And because they break bread daily, they don't have need to go to the hospital, except when they want to have a baby. <laughs> Won't it be nice if the only reason why you go to the hospital is because your spouse... Your wife just want to give birth to a baby. That would be wonderful. You may not need to get health insurance that you pay <laughs> every month premium. <laughs> You're paying to keep the insurance company uh, industry going. They feed fat <laughs> on the sweat of your brow. Amen. Whereas we have a health insurance policy in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ being broken. I tell you, it is, illegal. it is illegal for you to be sick. It is illegal for you to be sick as a Christian. But many Christians are sick because we don't know the power in the covenant of divine health and divine healing. I tell you, divine healing is good, but divine health is better. What is divine healing? When you are sick and you get healed, that is divine healing. But divine health is you never fall sick. Because Jesus has become our Passover.
His body was broken that ours may be made whole. His blood was shed so that our sins may be forgiven. Judgment and death has passed over you. Said, but remember, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When destruction is coming, it will pass over you. I was telling the other folks the other time during the fall that the flu epidemic was flowing all over the place. I told them, I said, it's illegal for the flu epidemic to fall on you. Because Jesus said, I mean, God told the children of Israel in Exodus 15 verse 26. He said, I am the Lord your physician. And none of the diseases I put on the Egyptians will come upon you. Symbolically, unbelievers are Egyptians. And we are the children of Israel. Amen. So if the unbelievers are getting flu, are catching flu, you are not supposed to get it. Because you have divine immune, immunity against flu. Because the blood of Jesus is flowing in your veins. Can you imagine Jesus catching flu? <laughs> Let me bring it home. Can you imagine God catching the flu? <laughs> so why should you catch the flu when you have the life of God flowing in you? I tell you, when you have a revelation of the covenants of God, the devil is no match for you. Because he's a defeated foe and he's under your feet. He's under your feet. Amen. The blood of Jesus is powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful. If the enemy wants to do anything in your life, he wants you to forget the sacrifice of Jesus because that was what defeated him. Somebody put it this way. Jesus did not defeat the devil. The devil defeated himself. <laughs> the Bible says, if the God of this world had known if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But he thought that he was destroying Jesus by having him crucified. But he never knew that he destroyed himself by arranging for Jesus to be crucified. We used to sing a song here. Hell called a party on Friday night. Thinking it was over and done. But Satan failed to realize that the battle I just begun. Because on the third day, an angel said, He is alive. He is alive. And Satan said, It's a lie. The angel said, It's alive. Satan said, Na lie. It's a lie. I'm speaking pigeon English. Na lie. <laughs> it's a lie. But the angel said, Proclaim, He is risen. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? For he's no more here. He's alive. We want to invite you to come on Sunday, the Easter Sunday. We're going to be having an illustrated sermon by Pastor Kelly. We want to bring to life the glory of his resurrection. Paul says in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 10, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 
Amen. The fellowship of his suffering. That peradventure I may be made conformable to his death. So that I can resurrect in the same power with which he resurrected. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, I think verse 21. It says it was the same power that God used to raise Jesus Christ. The same power that is at work in you. Can you imagine? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. is the same power that is in you when you gave your life to Jesus. One man of God put it this way. He said, Christians are a group of people who waste resources. Because we have the greatest resources on the earth. And yet, when you come to the church, the number of people who are sick are much. The number of people who are failing are many. The number of people who are falling into sin are many. Why? Because we do not realize the power in the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus will purge our consciences of dead works. The Bible says, book of Psalms 119 verse 130, it says, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. I was talking to somebody who was smoking. said, how can I get delivered from addiction to, to smoking, to nicotine? And I put it this way. If he has given you dominion every, over everything, where does cigarette comes from? From leaves, tobacco leaves. So, God has given you dominion. Say, have dominion over everything. Now, the leaves that you are supposed to have dominion over. It's not having dominion over you. You should be ashamed of yourself. Where did cocaine come from? Plants. And God has given you dominion over them. Where did alcohol come from? And what you are supposed to have dominion over is not having dominion over you. And you are saying, I'm addicted. I can't get free. Be annoyed with yourself and get free. Because the Bible says, He who the Son set free is free indeed. Just be free. Amen. After today, if you smoke or you take alcohol, it's because you like it. It's not because you, you it's, it's, it's because you like it. It's because you like to take it. But tonight, you should be annoyed. What I'm supposed to have dominion over is not having dominion over me. And you now take alcohol and when you are drunk, alcohol begins to control you. Instead of being filled with the Holy Ghost, you are now filled with the spirit of alcohol. Don't let me digress too much. <laughs> Amen. Please, I want to encourage you, break bread in your house, but do it with meaning. Because Paul said there are some people who do not take the Holy Communion in the right way. And because of that, many of them are falling dead and many of them are sick. This is a very powerful covenant instrument. If you do it in faith and in the right perspective, you can be breaking bread and diseases will just fall out from your body. Divine protection will come over your family. Don't wait for the church to have holy communion before you have it. Say, do it in remembrance of me. It's a very powerful ordinance. And lastly, we're going to talk about water baptism. <clears throat> water baptism by immersion is an, is an outward sacrament of the regenerated, born-again person. It's a symbol. It's an outward show of your conversion experience. 
how be heat, it is very important. Because Jesus said it should be done to fulfill all righteousness. Baptism by immersion, not by water sprinkling. Baptism by immersion signifies the confessions of your sins, of your sinful nature, and the acceptance of the sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus commanded us to do it in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Really, the word bap, baptism is gotten from a Greek word that means baptizo. It means to be submerged. It means to be washed. It means to be buried in. So, baptism, water baptism, is to be fully emerged, submerged, immersed, buried in, dipped in. It's not water sprinkling. So, if you think you've been baptized before, by water sprinkling, you were not baptized. You were only water sprinkled. <laughs> Amen. So by accepting to be baptized, that means you are accepting and you are attesting to the fact that you were a sinner and that you died in your sin and as you are coming out of the water, you were made alive in the likeness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means we can be baptizing people tonight. When you stand before you are you go into the water, you are a sinner, full of sins. It's just symbolic. Is that okay? You're already a Christian, I believe. So standing there as a sinner, then when you are dipped into the water, the Bible says that the wages of sin is dead, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Right? So, as a sinner, you're con you are condemned to die. So, when you are submerging the water, you are dead to sin and you have been buried. The whole you that was a sinner has been forgotten. Now, when you come out of the water, you are coming out as a new species of being that never existed before. You are coming out as a saint of God. You are just being born and you have no past. You have no sins in your past. You only have a life and a future in God. Does that make sense to you? And you see, there are so many people who are demon-possessed. That means demons are living inside of them. Demons are controlling them. And many times they need for somebody to cast out the demon from them. For them to be free. But this is our experience back home in Nigeria. We discovered that many people we did not need to perform deliverance for them. By being baptized, they got delivered. Because it is symbolic. When you go into the water, you are dead. So whatever spirits had authority over your life before you go into the water, when you are coming out, you are not the same person who entered that water. You are a new species of being that never existed before and they have no right. And they flee. Another thing that happens when you go into water baptism with faith is this. The Bible says that when Jesus came to be baptized, 
after he was baptized and as he was coming out of the water, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost descended from heaven and came upon him. And a voice was heard, the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Bible says that as he came out of the water, the Bible says he was driven. That's the reason why we titled our class 3, 103, as our mission and our driving force. The Bible says he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of a devil. So we believe that when you get into that water tonight, and as you are immersed, your whole past is gone. And as you are coming out, we expect, we believe, the Holy Ghost will come upon you afresh, just like he came upon Jesus. And henceforth, you'll be driven by the power of the Holy Ghost. If you do it in faith, and you do it with understanding, you will discover that after you are baptized tonight, your life will never remain the same again. Does that make sense to you? It's an outward ceremony to celebrate your born-again experience. Amen. Many people were baptized many years ago, but they did not have this understanding. So it was just, let's get baptized. And they got baptized, and they came out of the water just the way they were before they came in. When I had this being expounded to me many years ago, what did I do? I got baptized again. And when I came out of the water, I've never remained the same ever since. Somebody said you should be wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. When the enemy pinches you, the response should be Holy Ghost. Not curse word. (laughs) Some people, if you pinch them, a curse word will come at first. (laughs) When you are pinched, when you are wall-to-wall Holy Ghost, when you are pinched, when the enemy gets you in a corner, your reflexes should reflect Christ. Hallelujah. Are you blessed tonight? Amen. So we want to encourage you to get baptized today. We want to be driven by the presence, the power, and the person of the Holy Ghost. And we want you to be a people of covenant. A people of covenant. Why should God heal you? He promised he will heal you. Why should you be prosperous? Because he promises that you are prospered already. Amen. And remember, Jesus Christ is your Passover. Carry the consciousness of the work of Calvary in your life. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give God some praise tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we bless you. Let's rise up on our feet tonight. Oh, Father, we bless you. We give you praise, O God. We give you praise, O God. We give you praise, O God. Oh, Father, we thank you, O God. We bless you, O God. Oh, Father God, I release my faith, oh God. You said, oh God, that your word will not come back to you void, but shall surely come back after it has accomplished and prosper that which it is sent to accomplish. Lord, I release my faith for your people, oh God, that every word they have heard in the course of these classes, oh God, it shall not come back to you void, oh God, but shall surely come back to you after it has prospered them in what they are supposed to do in the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask for the God that every word that these people have heard, oh God, even from the first class or the last class today, oh God, I ask for the God that we do an eternal work in their hearts in the name of Jesus. Oh, 
precious Holy Spirit we ask, O God, that you will bring to the remembrance of every man, every woman, O God, every single word they have had at any point in time in their life when they need it, O God, and the word we produce for them in the name of Jesus. Father, we bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord give you peace. I put the name of the Lord upon you. I declare to you it is well with your spirit, soul, body. I declare to you people that you are blessed and you can never be cursed. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Let's give God some praise tonight. Amen. 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 Amen.